Well, I'll tell you what, if that anthem uh, didn't get you ready to uh, hear the Word of God, it got me ready to preach uh, the Word of God. Appreciate that very much. Praise the Lord for that. My intent this morning is to continue the theme of the messages that the pastor of this church, Jeremiah Thomas, has been preaching, at least in a thematic way. And he has been preaching a series of messages on homecoming and heart check. And he has been doing that from the perspective of the prophets. The prophets that spoke to the people of God after they came back. And thus far he has looked at Haggai and Zechariah. But the intent that I have this morning is not to do it from the perspective of a prophet, but from a historical perspective. And for that, I would invite you to turn with me to, Ezra, to uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, and I will read for you the first 12 verses. Nehemiah 8, 1 to 12. Here then, the word of God is the writer of Nehemiah inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives to us God's word written. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. Beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, and on the right hand, Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbad, Aniah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people, and he opened it, and all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed down their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josephat, Hanum, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly and gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah 
who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this is a day holy to our, holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they understood the words that were declared to him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures throughout all generations. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we give you thanks for this infallible and errant rule of faith and practice. But we come in utter dependence upon you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts tender to receive your word and grace to apply it, that we would not be merely those who hear your word, but those who respond to it and live out by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the life that you've called us to in Christ. So we pray that you would do so this day. Do so even as you did it on this day, back in the time of Nehemiah. And may it be for your glory, and may it be for the good of your people, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Ezra and Nehemiah are two historical books that we find in the Old Testament. And the history that they record for us has to do with the return of the exiles from Babylonia to Jerusalem. And they came back in three different groups. There was the group that came back with Zerubbabel. Later, there was the group that came back with Ezra. And 13 years after that, there is the group that came back with the man by the name of Nehemiah, the book that we're looking at today. When I think of this passage, as well as the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, I think of history with a capital H. History is his story. That is to say, the Bible presents to you and to me a God who is the Alpha and the Omega of history. He is the beginning. In the beginning, God. God existed from all eternity. In the beginning, God. And he is working out his plan and purpose, sometimes more clearly than others, but always working out his plan and purpose, even as he has done so and is doing so in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah to the place that he has brought his people to on this particular day in this passage before us. History, it is God's story. He is the Lord God Almighty. 
And we confess that this morning. I believe in God the Father Almighty. That's a view of history. And as we look at these books, we see that God is a God who is faithful and able to do that which he says he will do, which he promises to do. And in fact, the very fact that we have these people here in Nehemiah 8 at the Watergate assembled for worship is a historical testimony that he brought his people home, the homecoming, that he who sent his people into, ba into Babylon through the Babylonian captivity also promised that he would bring them back. He has brought them back. The temple has been rebuilt. The walls have been rebuilt. Here are the people of God. This is the homecoming. And both Ezra and Nehemiah would explain it this way, that the good hand of the Lord was upon them to give them favor in the sight of the king. Proverbs 21 1 tells us that the heart of the king is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He moves it where he will. And here we see the homecoming that God has brought about for his people. But the thing I want us to focus on this morning is this. One day, one day that is recorded for us here in Scripture, in the life of the people of God, and how God worked in their midst to bring about a real heart check, a real necessary heart check. And we see that here in this one day, this, this first day of the seventh month that we read about here in Nehemiah chapter 8. And in trying to understand the passage, I want you to notice with me a recurring phrase. It happens, I think, something like 10 times here in Nehemiah 8 verses 1 to 12. And that recurring phrase is this. All the people. All the people. And what is it about all the people? Well, first of all, all the people gathered as one man by the water gate to hear the law of Moses, which the Lord commanded Israel. That is to say, all the people gathered to hear the word of God read and to hear the word of God preached. And they gathered out of obedience to the word of God. They gathered because the law had said that on the first day of the seventh month, there would be the feast of trumpets, signaled by the blowing of trumpets. And on that day, it says in Numbers 29, verse 1, on that first day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do, not do any ordinary work. It is a day for you to blow the trumpets. Here we have people gathered in obedience to the word of God because they've been called to assemble for the very express purpose here of hearing the word of God read and explained to them. Back in the book of Leviticus, it talks about the, the uh, sacrifices that were to be offered on this day. But there's no mention here of sacrifices. Notice that what is front and center here is 
the Word of God. That's what they're to give their attention to. One commentator has put it this way, that, that the people of God became a people of the book. And that's what we are. We're people of the book. The book that we call the Bible. And here are people who are gathered for that express purpose of coming to hear the word of God read and explained to them. This seventh month, says one commentator, was marked the end of the agricultural year and the beginning of, of a new one. And farm work was at a minimum and there was a time to take stock spiritually and materially. God, God worked this into the schedule. He scheduled it. That here's a time to, together and it's a time to reflect and it's a time to, to take stock spiritually. How is it that God will bring this about within his people? He'll do it through the word. He'll do it through the ministry of the word as we see here. And it is the word of God. I know that it's called the law of Moses, but look at the qualifier, which the Lord commanded Israel. There's the authority. There's the, the true author of the word. Moses records what God gives to him to record. But it's God's word. And uh, over in verse 8, I believe it is, it, it says the, the law of God. It's God's law. It's his word that is to be read, that is to be explained. They made preparations for this. If Nehemiah, when he returned, within two months, something like 52 days, the wall had been rebuilt. That was perhaps the sixth month, and it seems as if this is shortly after that. But yet preparation had been made. They built a platform. They built a platform big enough that 13 people could be up on that platform. And when they came, and Ezra opened up that law of God, what it tells us is that the people stood. Now, that still takes place some places. If you were to worship in an ARP church down in Mexico, they would ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. What about that? Is that okay? I think it's okay. Be very appropriate to stand, not in, in, in any worship of the Word, but in deference to the God of the Word. It's His Word, and, and out of, of respect and reverence for Him to stand, that would certainly be acceptable. But it's not commanded. Really, the, the important thing is that we recognize that it is the Word of God. And the importance of having that read to us. The uh, larger catechism says, how is the Word of God to be read? And it says this, that the Holy Scriptures are to be read with a high and reverent esteem of them and with a firm persuasion that they are the very Word of God and that He only can enable us to understand them with desire to know, believe, obey the will of God revealed in them with diligence and attention to the matter and scope of them with meditation, application, self-denial, and prayer. And on this particular occasion, Ezra the scribe, the priest, opened the book of the law and he read it. 
And he read it from early morning until noontime. Ezra, this man that is described in the book by his name as a man who had set his heart to know the law of God, to do the word of God, and to teach it, to teach its statutes in Israel, to teach its statutes. And here he is, he's reading the word. He's fulfilling his calling of reading and explaining the word of God. Our directory of public worship says that the reading of the Holy Scriptures, it says this, the reading of the word of God is a distinct and essential part of public worship. In it, God speaks directly to his people by a word, a word that is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, the joint and marrow, and it is a discerner of the very thoughts and intents of our hearts, Hebrews 4.12. Here are people who are gathered for the reading and for the explanation of God's word. They did so on this first day of the seventh month because God had called them to do so. But they also had the weekly Sabbath. And you and I have, as it were, a weekly appointment that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together such as the custom of some, but we're to come. And part of that which is distinct and an essential part of our worship is to hear the word of God read and explained. Now notice, not only does he read the word, but it says that Ezra and his assistants helped the people to understand the law of God, verses 7 and 8. And then Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites taught the people, verse 9. God gifted men on this occasion so that the people would not only know what the Word of God said as it was read to them, but they would know the significance and the meaning and the application for their lives. I love what uh, Derek Kinder says in his, his commentary about history. He says, biblical history, and let's just take it in terms of the day that we're dealing with here, is not just something that we are to know about. It's something that we are to learn from. All scripture is inspired of God and profitable for doctrine, reproof, for training, and righteousness that the man of God might be equipped for every good deed. Apostle Paul says these kinds of things were written for our instruction. And so we have here people gathered here and they have because God has provided others who can explain to them what the scripture means. I think of that Ethiopian eunuch on his way back from having worship in Jerusalem and he's there in his chariot and he's reading the word of God and he's reading from Isaiah 53, that wonderful chapter of uh, God's word. He doesn't know what he's reading. He doesn't know whether it applies to Isaiah or, or to whom that passage applies. But God graciously sends him a man by the name of Philip and he comes up and he says, do you understand what you're reading. How can I? Unless there is one to guide me. And up in the charity went. And through the presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ, he explained that passage to that Ethiopian eunuch. And he came to faith in Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 16, we're told that Lydia was gathered with others around, having a prayer meeting outside the city of Philippi. Philippi and and that, that here comes Paul. And Paul speaks to them the gospel, and it says that the Lord opened her heart. Yes, 
Yes, Paul was to be a faithful minister and to proclaim that word, but it was the Lord who opened her heart through that means. And to him is to be the glory and the praise. It's said of Spurgeon before he entered the pulpit, he used to say to himself, not in terms of a magical incantation, but as a reminder, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Because the Word of God tells us that it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, He is the one who convicts of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. It's not the eloquence or the oratory uh, power of a speaker. The Holy Spirit. And therefore, God deserves all the glory and the honor and the praise. Secondly, I want you to notice with me that all the people were attentive to the book of the law, verse 3. They had a hunger for the word. They had a hunger for the word. Now note that. I don't think anybody in the crowd said, you know, I've heard about this guy by the name of Ezra. I really want to hear him preach because, man, that guy can preach. They gathered to hear the word. Ezra just happened to be the servant that day. But the hunger was for the word of God. Peter tells us like newborn babes, long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow into salvation. Jesus prayed for his followers in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. There is no growth in, in the Christian life apart from divine revelation. We need the Word of God. We need to hear it read. We need to hear it explained and how it applies to our lives. That's what's happening here. Here's a heart check that's taking place. How I love thy law, Lord, daily joy, its truths afford, and its constant light I go wise to conquer every foe. Sweeter are thy words to me than all other good can be. Safe I walk, thy truth my light, hating falsehood, loving right. Oh, as the Bible song says, far better than silver or gold, far better than riches untold. Thy wonderful word is to me better far than thousands of silver and gold. We are to pay attention. The people gathered. All the people that gathered. The, the, the men, the women, and the children paid attention. They all paid attention, the scripture tells us. Peter tells us that we have a prophetic word more fully confirmed to which we do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. Third, would you notice with me the response of this people? It says that all of them wept at the exposition, at the reading and the exposition of God's word. They all wept. Larger Catechism says in question 155, how is the word of God made effectual unto salvation? It says this in response. The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners and driving them out of themselves and drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to an image 
of, uh, to his image and subduing them to his will of strengthening them against the temptations and corruptions of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. The reading and the exposition of the word of God. That's what the Holy Spirit uses in the lives of people. And he used it here. And he used it not only in adults, but he used it evidently in the lives of children. Could God speak to a child and bring about an understanding, a conviction in their life if something was not right in their life? Could he? I'll tell you this story. Uh, my twin, I have a twin brother, and we went to a birthday party. Six, seven, eight years old, somewhere around there. And we went to a friend's home, and that friend had a little gadget. It was battery operated. I cannot tell you exactly what it was, but I can tell you when I saw that and how he worked that thing, I was fascinated with that thing. And not only was I fascinated with that thing, I coveted that thing. Not only did I covet that thing, I took it. It wasn't mine. I didn't ask. I just put it in my pocket and I took it home and I hid it because I didn't want anybody asking me, where did you get that? Well, like I said, six, seven, eight years old. I don't know how long it was after that. I, every once in a while my conscience would bother me, but you know, with the passing of times, a little less. And whether it was weeks or whether it was months, however long it was, a woman and her daughter, her daughter was older than my twin brother and I, came to visit my mother, and she wanted to talk to my mother about something that grown-ups evidently talk about that little ears don't need to hear. So she and my, uh, uh, my mother said to the daughter, take the boys in the living room and keep them occupied. Well, I didn't say that, but uh, that was the intent. Well, we talk. So into the living room she took us. Well, what do we do when we get to the living room? Well, play a game or read a book or do something. Just keep them occupied. So into the living room we come and there on the, there on the coffee table is what? The Bible. Oh, I'll read to you from the Bible. Now, I don't know exactly where she turned to, but I do know this. It was either Deuteronomy 5 or Exodus 20. And she says, here, here boys, I'll read to you the Ten Commandments. Ooh, please don't. How about Daniel and the lion then? How about David and Goliath? How about anything? Please, please, anything but the Ten Commandments. No other gods before me. No graven images. Don't take my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. And all she did was read four more words. That's all I could take. She said, thou shalt not steal. 
And when she said those words, I burst out crying. I bolted from my seat. I went in and I interrupted my mother's meeting. I went up in her lap and I confessed my sin. Just the reading of the word of God. Not in a church service. Somebody trying to keep the boys occupied. The Spirit of God taking the Word of God and putting it on the finger, put, putting his finger on a place in my life that needed to be dealt with, even as a little boy. Sin's a serious thing. The sin of a little boy sent the Savior to the cross. That's how serious it is. And sometimes when God deals with us and he checks our hearts, it's, it's not the most pleasant thing. It's about as pleasant as surgery. But sometimes surgery is absolutely necessary for our spiritual well-being. And, and the Bible tells us that the God who does this by his spirit is a God who loves us. And he therefore disciplines us when we need to be disciplined. And when he read the word, it says that they all wept. Charles Spurgeon again said, you know, when he looked at his life compared to the lives of other young men his age and what they were out doing and some of the things that they were doing, he didn't feel too bad about himself. But he said, when I looked at the Ten Words, I was undone. When I looked at the Ten Commandments, you see, there's another expositor in the Bible of the law. And that preacher said, you've heard it said that you shall not murder, but whoever murders will be liable to the judgment of I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. That preacher said, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That preacher got to the heart of the matter. It's out of the heart that these kinds of things come. It wasn't just the letter of the law. It was the spirit of the law. And the law shuts us all up. We all would do well, if not to weep, to mourn our sinful condition. But that law does not leave us there merely to convict us of sin, but also of righteousness and of judgment. It is to drive us, as it were, to the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't come just to lay a guilt trip on us. It doesn't come for that at all. He comes to bring us to himself and the newness of life that is found only in Jesus Christ. Without a knowledge of our sin, we would have no knowledge of our need as a, of a savior. But God graciously brings it about, how be it sometimes very painfully in our lives. But then lastly, I want you to notice that all the people went on their way rejoicing because they had understood what had been read, the words that had been declared to them. There's another day in the seventh month Eight days later, there would be the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was the day in which the high priest would take and make a sacrifice for himself, and then he would take another animal and he would sacrifice that, and he would enter in, as he did only once a year, into the Holy of Holies, and there offer that. 
for the sins of the people. And see, God had brought them to this place. God had seen, seen fit that the temple was rebuilt. God had seen that the walls were rebuilt. God was with them. And they weren't to mourn as to continue to mourn. That repentance would come in chapter 9 and renewal of commitment in chapter 9. But this was a day in which they were to rejoice because the joy of the Lord is their strength. And though we mourn our sin, and rightly so, we marvel, we marvel at our Savior and the God who loved us so much that he not only brought about the conviction of sin, but also shows to us the one, that great high priest, whose once for all sacrifice cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Just one day, just one day out of the year, just one day when people gathered together for worship, just a day when perhaps their neighbors were saying you could be doing things that are a lot more entertaining and fun. But a day that God used in the life of his people to check their hearts and to remind them that though they are sinners, great sinners, they have a great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that on this day, this day, this day in history, August the 8th, 2021, I pray that it might be a heart check for us, but also a renewed realization at the joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Only you can apply it to our lives. We pray that you would do so. And we pray it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.